You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. So let me pray for us, and we will continue our journey through 1 John. We're going to look at the first four verses-ish of uh, 1 John chapter 5 today. So let me just pray for us. If you want to turn there in your Bible so you can look at what I'm saying. That way you can see that what I'm saying is actually from the Word of God. And I will pray for us, and we will dive in. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for each one here, Lord, and all those who may be visiting family or just taking the time because they get Monday off, Lord. I I pray that you will bless them wherever they're at, Lord. Father, I pray that all that they do will uh, bring glory to you, that, that, Lord, they think that they're going on vacation or they think that they're visiting family, but really what God is doing is he's moving people about to bring them cross paths to people that don't know you. So, Father, we pray that throughout this summer, as we travel, as we spend time with family, Father, we just pray that you will give us opportunities to share the hope that we have within us. Lord, that that we will cross paths with people that need to know the gospel so that you can send your spirit, and as John is going to teach us, today, that you can cause them to be born again. That way they can then put their faith in Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would help us see this truth today. Today is about seeing a truth. It's about seeing it and, and Lord, and hiding it in our heart, Lord, and then seeing how we may be able to he- see, help others to see it also. Because, Lord, this truth, this truth that you're about to share with us, it is the bedrock of our salvation. It is the rock of our assurance. We are not saved on anything that we did, but everything that you have done. Nor we should be able to live as freed people. That's why Paul uses, Lord, that you've given us that picture of, of being enslaved to sin that has been broken away, Lord. And I just pray that we would see that today. That we would rest in that because even if we're believers, Lord, that sometimes we start working our way to God. Sometimes we're afraid to go to him when we fail. And Father, I just pray that we would see this truth today, that you loved us so much, you've made us a new creature. Father, I just give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ancient tradition says that when the Apostle John, near his death, if you remember when he was writing this, he's probably 70, 80s, you know, they argue about that. And so he was just an older person getting ready to go be with his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. His voice grew so weak that he could no longer preach to the congregation in Ephesus. He was an elder at Ephesus, and he didn't have one of these nice things called a microphone, and and he would just be able to speak. But he got so weak, and his voice got so weak, that he could no longer preach to the congregation. Yet each Sunday, as he arrived at the church, now obviously he's probably given these duties to to speak into the plurality of elders, and and, and obviously he doesn't do it much anymore, but, but he would arrive at the church, and he would offer an identical exhortation every Sunday. Every Sunday. And, and, and if you've been here for the last five weeks, you're probably like, yeah, Joe, I get it, because you've said the same thing over the last five weeks. And it says this, little children love one another. Love 
one another. That's what John's been trying to, to get us to see this come, last couple weeks, and, and he's going to continue that a little bit as he, he finishes up the love part, and he starts talking about our faith. So when the congregation grew tired of the same sentence, someone finally asked John, why have you so frequently repeated this simple thing? Love, little children, love one another. And he replied, I say what I say because it is the Lord's command. And if this is all you do, it is enough. If all you do is love, it is enough. This is what John has been telling us over the last few weeks, as I've said. An exhortation that sums this up is we love because he first loved us. We looked at that last week. And because he loved us, he gives us some things that we looked at last week. He gives us assurance of his presence that, that he is now with us. That was, that was from the beginning, right? Adam and Eve sinned. He had to place them outside of the garden so they wouldn't eat the tree of life and live forever. And then he's been working his, his plan to, to, for his children to be in his presence. And it's all looking to one day, then one day, that, that in the new heavens and new earth, we will be in his presence forever. Differently than it is now, but we can certainly be in his presence now because the Spirit is dwelling in us. And then not only do we have assurance of his presence that, that he is with us, but there's confidence awaiting judgment. And he's one day that every, every person on this planet will be judged before God. And what, he's, what he said is this love is, is that we can have confidence in his waiting because not of what we've done, but because of what of Christ has done for us. And then the last thing that he comes back to again as we looked at last week was a power to, re, to reflect his character in this world. And that character is loving one another. It's verse 420 and 21 kind of sums it up. If anyone says, I, have, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So it's a cause and effect. He's saying that if you love God, you will be loving your brother. And, and why is he so confident in saying that? Because what he's about to say in verse 1 of chapter 5. He's confident that if you love God, then you will love others. And it's not because that you're special and this person can do it, but that person can't. It's because of what God has done. And that's what he's going to show us today. What has God done to assure John that he can write something like this? Again, John is writing to believers, right? And unlike Paul, who, Paul divided up his letters. We, we know this, right? We, like if you look at Ephesians, it's, there's six chapters, one through three. He tells you, this is what God has done. This is who you are in light of what is God has done. And then from chapters four through six, he says, okay, in light of what God has done and who you are. Now, this is what you need to go and do. Or this is the characteristics you need to live out. This is who, you know, this is what you are to do. John doesn't write like that. He kind of mixes it all in together. <laughs> he, he, he goes, one sentence is, is tells you who you are, and the next sentence tells you what you need to do. So that's, that's kind of different between John's writing and Paul's writing. See, John weaves both ideas within each topic that he wants to share with his readers. John is, is going to add one more reason that we, if we are Christians, will love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, he reminds us of our faith. What's his reason? It's because of our faith. Our faith in, in God, our faith in Christ 
means also that we are loving God. It also means that we're loving others. He reminds us of our faith and how we received our faith. In the verses that we will look at today, he gives us the nature of the faith we profess. He kind of lays out just three things about the nature of our faith that we profess. We will see the object of our faith. We will see the author of our faith. And we will see the effects of our faith. We'll see the object of our faith, the author of our faith, and its effects. So let me read 1 John 1-4 through 4 for us. This, this first verse, this is like, this should give you so much comfort. This should allow you to lay down all your legalism. This should allow you to lay down all your efforts to work your way to God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, so everyone who has faith that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So what John starts with, and what he says is everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So he's starting with the object of our faith. What is the object of our faith? The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Now we know that one of the reasons why he's writing this letter, and we learned that back in chapter 2 or at the end of verse, uh, chapter 1, where there were some people within the congregation that has then since left that were teaching a different Jesus. They weren't saying that he was the son of God, that maybe he, he, was, he was possessed by this, you know, the spirit just for a time and then the spirit left him. So he was kind of just different than, he was more like, like Moses and different people from the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit used them. But they were not claiming that he was fully God. That he was fully human and fully God. So he's writing this to kind of correct that a little bit. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is what he's saying. That's the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Christian faith believes that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's what we believe. That the, the whole Old Testament, right? This is, what, this is what Luke 24 tells us. You know, that, that the whole Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus, right? That he is the Messiah, that he is the one. He is the one to save us. Christian faith believes that Jesus is the divine Christ, the Son of God. Again, that he is fully man and fully God, that he is the Son of God. He who came from heaven to die for us. See, this is, if you get your Christology wrong, you're, you're you know, you're kind of making up your own God and, and it gets all wonky on you and, and it's, it's never good. So we got to make sure that we are worshiping and we believing and we are trusting in the right Jesus Christ, the one of the Bible. Christian faith believes that the apostolic testimony about Jesus, th these are the things that we believe in. And some of these things are, are getting cast out. They're like, oh, listen, these days where they're picking and choosing, I don't like that. That sounds a little too harsh. That sounds a little mean. I don't think he would do that. Let's, let's just pick and choose what we want. And as soon as we do that, it's no longer the Christian faith that saves to eternal life. It's something different. I'm not sure what it is, but it's something different. Many would say that's just, you know, a cult. Because you're believing something other than the true Jesus. Christian faith believes the apostolic testimony about Jesus is coming in the flesh, teachings, miracles, exorcisms, sufferings, crucifixion, resurrection, bodily appearances, 
ascension, eternal mediation, glorification, an ongoing offer of forgiveness, and a call to faith in light of the coming judgment. Right? It's a list there, but there's so many things that are like, oh, coming judgment? No. God doesn't judge. He's the God of love. That was the God of the Old Testament. I mean, so many of these things are getting discredited within the walls of those that are calling themselves evangelical Christians. With John's reminding his believers all the way back in the first century that is if you got Jesus wrong, you're not believing in a belief that will give you eternal life. You're not believing in Jesus, the true Jesus. Christian faith believes in the Jesus of 1 John, the one with whom believers enjoy fellowship. The righteous one who makes intercession with the Father. The one whom the Antichrist denies. The one in whose name alone people are commanded to trust. And the one who has come from God in the flesh. And that's all the things that John has taught us throughout the book so far about who this Jesus is. See, if we get the object wrong, meaning if we do not know who Jesus is, then we have no confidence before him on judgment day. There is no confidence before him on judgment day if we're worshiping a different Jesus. That's why this is so, so imperative. It has, you have to be believing in the right Jesus. And we can't just pick and choose who we believe he is. We must take all of what scripture says and believe in all of that. The amazing thing about what John says in verse 1 is not only does he tell us who the object of our faith needs to be, but he tells us that the object, Jesus Christ, God, is also the author of our faith. Not only is he the object of our faith, but he is the author of our faith. Right? Read that again with me in, in, chapter, in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. In this one verse, in this one verse, John summarizes the whole of the Christian faith. He summarizes it in, in one verse, the whole of the Christian faith. If you are a Christian today, it is because something God has done to you, not something you have done yourselves. This is what separates us from, from Buddhism and, and all the other isms. Is, is They're all saying, okay, we've got to do some things to get to God. And Jesus says, no, I came to you. And you know what? I, I, through the gospel call, I've caused you to be born again. Therefore, you can have faith in me. It's, it's all my work. It's all me doing it. This is the God that, that loves us. This is the God that we profess every Sunday. This is the God that we should be worshiping. This is why we worship. This the, the God that did all this for us, for these wretched people that, that consistently rebelled against him, and he came and he saved us. That's why we worship on Sunday. That's why our hearts are full of joy, especially when we gather with all those that are around us that are also born again, that also have the Spirit within us, and God is dwelling with us, and we we worship him because of what he has done for us. I would guess that if you polled most people in churches today and asked them what is the source of your faith, they would most likely say, unfortunately, I am the source of my faith. I'm the one that put my faith in Jesus. I'm the one that, that chose Jesus. I venture to say that if we did a poll in all the churches, that would be the predominant percentage. But you know what? Most people don't live that way. 
Right? Most people don't live that way. Most people, whenever you, you, you know, you, you, you don't ask the faith question, right? You ask the, how are you saved? Most people say, well, God saved me. Well, yes, God did save you. But now we got to figure out, okay, then how did that happen? Was there a little bit of me? Was there a little bit of God? Was it both of us? Was it just God? Was it all me? How did that happen? How are we born again? Because that's what John is saying. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How, how does this all work? Right? But we know from this passage that Scripture answers is that our faith is God-born. It's not the faith that we already possess that we muster it up and then we put our faith in God. It's not what the Bible teaches us. It's not what Ephesians teaches us. It's not what John is teaching us here. Let me show you right from this passage. I say that with confidence based on the linguistic evidence of what is here. And, and I notice that some of you might check out whenever I start talking about this, and that's fine. But some of you can dig in and see exactly what is happening here because it's so very important. It is so very important what is happening here. The verb believes, or more literally, the one believing, is in the present tense, which indicates a present continuing activity. So, a present continuing activity. You are believing, right? It's a present continuing activity. The word born, or has been born, is in the perfect tense. Now, we're talking about Greek tenses, is how it was written in the original language. The perfect tense indicates a past event with continuing consequences. So yes, you are believing, but you are believing because of something that happened back here, right? That's, that's what John's argument is. That's what the Greek argument is, that, that you will continue to believe because something happened back here. This means that our present continued belief is a result of a past event. What event? The event of being born of God. That's the event. The event of being born of God, given spiritual rebirth. That's what happens. That's what, that's what the verse says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Past tense. If you're believing today, it's because you were born of God. Right? That's, that's what John's argument is. That's what Ephesians' argument is. David Jackman explains, It is God who takes the initiative in the new birth, or the work of salvation. Faith being both its gift and the first active sign of the new life. It's the first active sign of the new life. Is as, as the effectual call goes out, as, as someone gives you the good news of what Christ has done, the Holy Spirit uses the word to change hearts. Can we control it? No. You know, when Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it may. We don't know. We don't know where the wind is going to land and where the Spirit is going to change hearts. So we need to preach to all people. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the gospel. This is so important. We cannot birth faith that leads to eternal life because from birth we are spiritually dead. That's, that's who man is. That we are spiritually 
dead. Now, some of you know this. I know some of you that I'm going to go over this, and some of you, I might be really pushing up against what you believe, and, and that's fine, because I, I think I can reconcile it through Scripture, and if we need to talk further, I'll be glad to talk further, but I'm pretty sure, and even most evangelicals believe that we were born dead. We were born dead in our sin because of Adam's sin, but then they, they, they use different means, which now, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me just prove this from the scripture that, that we are dead, right? The things of God we cannot understand. So in other words, in our state, before God acts upon us, we cannot understand the word. We can understand spiritual things. That's what, that's what Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. And in fact, Ephesians uh, 2 agrees with John. Let me just read these 10 verses. <laughs> this is the gospel. You want to, you know, this is the gospel. This is what God has done. This is, he, he explains where you were, who you were, what God has done, and where you are now. It's, it's, it's incredible. And it's all God's work. And you're saying, but yeah, but, but isn't there some... Somewhere along the line, I know that the Bible tells me that those who believe, right, or those who profess faith in Christ will be, will be saved. Yes. But I believe that the scripture is clear that God has worked in your heart before that ever happens. Many times we know it because he crushes us so much because we actually see our sin. <laughs> Sometimes it happens, and I think that, that he works our way too, like, like we use this word that, that God is wooing you, that he's, he's bringing you. Because Ephesians, I mean, Romans 1 tells us that, that all of creation, when we step out that door, all of creation is crying out the glory of God, and we ignore it every day. If you're not born again. You just, you see it as beautiful, but we don't see it and roll it over into glorifying God about it. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who we are. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So what Paul was saying is what John has already told us, that if you are of the world, that you're under the power of the ruler of the world, and the ruler of the world, he calls it the prince of the power of the air, is Satan. There's two worlds happening among us right now. There's the kingdom of God that has been brought in that is not fully consummated yet. And then there's the kingdom of Satan that is living around us. Right? Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And, and that's why John, when he said, he said, don't be of the world. Right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's what he's, same thing saying the same thing, among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, but God did this, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." By grace you have his name. Now listen to what else he says. And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen for that. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, what God does, who we are, what God does in his mission, it's, it's all right there in those 10 verses. It's pretty incredible. That, that he saved you for works that he has prepared for you. And we got to ask every day, every day that we get up, right, that have we sought God and to see what those works are? Are we in our word to see what he might be saying? Are we spending time with him to know where he's leading us? Are we paying attention to the spirit whenever we're just doing some mundane things? Like maybe we're at the grocery counter and we bump into somebody. Are we in tune with the Spirit, or are we just so focused on us, 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 us? What about me? That we miss these opportunities. I mean, how you understand your salvation affects how you live today. I am firm believer in that. I am a firm believer in that, and, and my, my evidence is not only my life, but the life of many of of um, people that are close to me, the evidence of people that um, I've talked to through many years of serving in the church, but how you understand your salvation affects how you live today. Let me try to flush that out a little bit. So there's ideas that started back in, in 410 B.C., um, by a man named Pelagian who, who uh, believed that uh, Adam's sin was not transferred over to man, right? That Adam was just an example and that this idea that we were born into sin, that we were separated from God, well, that just, that wasn't really real. And so they kind of fought that heresy and it, of course, some people still believe that today. They still believe that today, that, that, that man is good, Right? I mean, just look at the culture around us. What do they tell you? Look inside yourself. Right? That's all they tell you to do. Find the good inside of you. And we got to decide, are we going to have a, that worldview or are we going to have a biblical worldview where Jesus says, okay, before you have a new heart, there ain't nothing good inside of you. Why are you looking there? Look outside of yourself. Look up to me. Look up to the word. Look to who I tell you who you are. So this idea that the Adam's sin didn't get transferred to humans, Pelagianism is what they call it. And then later on, Wesley comes about, and man, Wesley believed, and he's the, the father of the Methodist church. He believes so much of, of biblical gospel, the gospels of grace, and he had this one little twist. And this one little twist separates it from, from what the Word of God says. And, and the amazing thing as I study this is he really doesn't even have Scripture to back up what he believes. And, and what he believes is this idea of prevenient grace. This idea that, that when Jesus came on the scene, and in fact, I, I, I read, I read the, the passage today on purpose because that's his, his passage that, that he'll use on occasion, but he very rarely even, in, even put it out to, to prove his point of prevenient grace. This idea that when the light came, right, we read that today, the true light which gives light to everyone has was coming into the world, this true light, 
Right? This idea that, the, that when Jesus came, he gave this common grace. This, that's what the reformers would, would, would call common grace. But he's thinking of something different. He's saying prevenient grace. That means he gave every human being just enough grace to make that decision for Christ. That's his idea. That, that, that because of Christ's came in, in Christ's coming and dying and going to the cross and being rose again, believing all of that, believing all of that, but, but this idea that, that, he, that it gave us just enough grace for us to be able to decide. Okay? And, you're, and I know some of you are probably like, Joe, man, you're going around in circles and you're kind of saying the same thing. And yes, it, it's, it's interesting how this works and how God works it out in us. It's like he's calling us to put our trust in him, but we can't do so until he works on us. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. But what, what Wesley thought, and, and then this has just absolutely exploded, is this idea that every one of you, every person in this world today, if they would just hear the gospel See, it's like, so many times I wrote this down and erased it because it's like, what I'm about to say is going to contradict what I'm trying to say. But it's not really, it's not really contradicting. It's like, Wesley believed that everyone has the ability, right, to have faith and put their faith in Christ and be born again. Right? So his idea was that this prevenient grace gave everybody the ability to call out to God and, and for them to be born again. Maybe that's a, a way to go with it. That's the way I go with it in my head because I always go back to the person. Here's the person. I'm dead. Joe's dead. Joe doesn't, the things of God, I, I've been in church over and over and over again and it's kind of a little wacky what they're saying and, and things are a little crazy and, but you know, it, just nothing and nothing and nothing. Then one day, you know, after we moved back from Florida, and then, and then all of a sudden it started making sense to me. All of a sudden, wait a minute, there's something this. And then, then one day cruising up I-77 in, in my 18-wheeler around Canton, Ohio, he just shows me my sin. I was born again. And then my life changed ever since that point. So even though two and a half years before that, Joe walked the aisle and he made a decision. And I would say that I put my faith in Christ. But it didn't, just because I said that, just because I said that prayer, doesn't mean that God caused me to be born again right at that moment. It's the other way around. He causes you to be born again, so therefore you can truly put your faith in him. And you're going to see why I'm drumming this out in a little bit. But this is, this is so important. This is so important, not only how you live today, but think about the person doing what I'm doing each day. If, if they have the idea that every person that walks through that door, they've been given just enough grace. And this is, although they don't call it provenient grace, this is what the majority of evangelical churches believe. Right? This is what they believe, that, that every person has, has, has just enough goodness in them, has just enough grace from what Christ did on the cross, that they can respond to the message. They can respond with faith. They can, if God's works on them first. But what has happened is, is, is week after week, if I'm standing up here, and if my only hope is to be good enough, to be clever enough, 
to tell you what you want to hear so that way you come back. Until the day that you actually will come down the aisle and say a prayer and be saved, right? Now, we don't know if you're saved or not. It's, it could very well happen that way for you, right? Someone could have been preaching one day and they said, if, if God has worked in your heart and he's changed your heart and you want to repent and you ran to the altar and repented, it might very well have happened that way for you. But God changed your heart before you made that decision, is what John is laying out and trying to show us. But, I, but what my heart is, and what I'm going on and on about it, is I think so many of, the, of where we get messed up, and, and it messes up our sanctification, is, is because we have this idea where, where men are standing behind pulpits, and they're, they're telling you what you want to hear so that you come back, and consistently asking you to come to the front and, and say that instead of telling you that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, right? They're trying to impress and bring in people to make a decision. And what John is trying to say to you is this, is that is true. I need to tell you that you are a sinner, that you need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life that we could not live. That he died on the cross and took the wrath that God had for us. He stood in our place. And when he, and he went to the tomb and he's there for three days and he was rosen again. When he rose again, that is our justification. Now he's at the right hand of the Father advocating for his brothers and sisters that are in Christ. And in that, what John is saying is the Spirit, and we can see that in other places, Changes people's hearts so that they can respond. And I've been beating this drum to show you how it changes the way you live out the rest of your life. It's because I don't think you can ever come over and get over that hurdle. I think it is a, it is a massive hurdle. If you think in your head that the only reason why you are saved is because the decision you made, you live with that for a long time until God wrestles you down, shows you the gospels of grace, which is just nothing more than what the Bible says, and shows you this was all of him. He did this. He saved you. Because whenever you see that, brother and sister, you can let go of hiding whenever you sin. You can let go of, of, of putting this persona on that, that I got it all together. You can let go of that. And, and you could just be real with people and you could love them. And you also can take grace for what grace is. You can actually live your lives not, not continually and always thinking that, oh, I got to do a little bit better. Oh, I better read my Bible a little bit more. Oh, I better pray a little bit more. You walk in that grace. You live in that grace. In living in that grace, because you were born again, you will want to read your Bible more. You will want to pray more. And you will want to love more. And that's his circular argument. Is he saying because Jesus, because God moved in your heart and changed your heart, that you will want to love him and you will want to love your brothers and sisters. But if, if, if all we got, if we don't have any treasuring of Christ, if we don't have any actual emotional, physical newness. How can you possibly be born again and say, oh, I've never experienced much. I said a prayer and that's all it. How is that possible? 
Have you been in the birthing room? Something happens there, folks. It's no different. He's taking us out of, out, of, out of death and bringing us into life. It has to be more. And you know what? Some people, just like me, I started out that way. I didn't change much. <laughs> Those two years, not much changed, except I went to church and I professed this. And not until that day that I was truly born again. That day that, that he changed my heart. Maybe he did change my heart that day, but I'll never know. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel is we're just to preach it. And we're just to share it. But I, I, I just see so many people in bondage because they're working their way to heaven. They don't call it that. They don't think that. But man, they won't let go of some things because it's like, that justifies me. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Some of us are, are trapped in the hamster wheel of, of just proving who we are. And, and God says, you're my child. I love you. That's, that's all you need. That's all you need. See, this effectual call, we have a great illustration of it. We, Jesus gave us a great illustration of the effectual call. Remember, remember Lazarus, who was dear to Jesus and dear to his disciples, and he died and went to the tomb for four days, and Jesus was hanging out doing some other stuff, and everyone's kind of upset with him because he was doing so. But this effectual call is, is so much illustrated in the scene of Lazarus. We get to the tomb, and Jesus is standing in front of the tomb in John eleven forty three. And he said this, when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come forth. He was calling Lazarus from death to life. And, 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 and when somebody either said it, I'm, I'm pretty thinking it's, it's Alistair Begg or somebody, but you know, it, it's neat how it says it recorded it exactly right. He said, Lazarus, come out. Because what if Jesus just said, come out? What would happen? The tombs would be emptied. But he had a specific goal. Lazarus, come out. That's what he does. That's what he does through the, the preaching of the gospel. Not, not the gospel that lifts up man, but the gospel that lifts up God and tells you who he is. And what he has done for us and tells you your real true nature and who you are. So that you can see the gap. And it tells you all that Christ has done for us. Lazarus, come out. One day it was Joe, come out. One day it was Terry, come out. One day it was Derek, come out. He called you out of death into life, and you didn't do a thing except hear the gospel. Except hear the gospel. I know I've chased the rabbit, but <laughs> this is what was on my heart, and and it was also what was in the text. <laughs> what John is saying is because God gave you new life and the faith to believe in his son, there will be effects of that event. The effects is love for him and love for the family. No, I'm not really giving these verses the time they need, but that was where God just, I wrestled all week with that. 
it does, it, it makes so much difference on how we live today, how we walk out our sanctification. So verses 2 and 4 say this, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So let's just follow the logic. The new birth produces faith and love for God. We treasure Christ for all that He has done for us. That's what faith in Christ is. Your faith is, means that you treasure Him above everything else in this world. In other words, when, when, when Paul told us that he's, He saved us for good works, then we're, we're, because we treasure Jesus and we look to Him and see what He was doing, and that's how we, we pattern our lives. That's how we schedule our lives. That's what we do with our lives. Because He has changed our hearts. We treasure Christ for all that He has done for us. This faith, the faith to treasure Christ for who He is, that God gives us overcomes the world. This faith that He's given us, that He gave us, it, it overcomes the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The love for God, the faith that treasures Christ, has overcome these obstacles that make the commands of God burdensome. That's what he's saying. That you will follow his commands because they're not burdensome. Why? Because you are born again. He's given you a faith to treasure Christ. And you see that everything that God is saying is, that is awesome. There is joy there. They're not burdensome. See, because if you think you're burdensome, let's go back to how you were saved. Many people think the commands are burdensome because they're trying to do it in their own strength. Because I'm the one that made the decision to, to, to follow God. So now for I got to continue that. No. Lay it down. He's overcome all this because of the faith that he put in you. The faith to treasure Christ and the, and the love you have for the Father. His commands are not burdensome. They're joyful. There's so much more joy in following what the Word of God says than following my own desires. And man, I've been doing this for 20 years and I can't, it just doesn't seem that I'm learning this. But little by little I am. Little by little I am. And then what happens is the world, as he overcomes the world, what he does is he exposes the world around us as unsatisfying. That is what true saving faith does. That is what being born again does. In other words, if you've been born again by the Spirit, the things of the world, although our flesh are going to go after them, we're going to have those desires, but they're going to progressively get less and less. The things of the world will progressively aggravate us more and more and more. Let's just be honest. If, if you're one of those that's like, wait a minute, I, I, I'm the one that went to the, went to the altar, said the prayer, and said I've been saved and ever since. If you are less like Christ today than you were back then or two days after then, then can I just beg you to reevaluate? And I just beg God to, to maybe save you today? Whenever those obstacles are removed, then God's commands are just joyful for us. Result, which results in loving the believers because we joyfully obey the command to love one another. See, it's kind of a circle, and it's all rooted in what God has done. God causes us to be born again, gives us faith. In that faith, we're treasuring Christ. It creates love for God, and that love for God floods out into loving one another. 
Why? Because God moved and caused us to be born again. It's incredible. It's incredible what God has done just to be in our presence. Just so that he can spend eternity with his creation. From the beginning to the end, it's all God. He started with a covenant with Abraham, which is fulfilled in Jesus. There's only one story happening in the world today. There's only one story. You're either pushing against it every day of your life, or you're, you're walking in it. And most of the time, I know my life also is like this often, is like we're weaving in and out of it, right? We don't go the straight path. Sometimes we're over here, and sometimes we're in it. Sometimes we're over here, sometimes we're in it. But there's only one story happening. A loving God pursuing his children, calling them back to be in his presence. Such a beautiful story. But even better reality. Because that is the reality we live in. And I pray today, you can see God for who he is and truly treasure him for all that he has done to save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that that your spirit has helped us today, that any confusion that I may have created, Lord, I pray that you, through your spirit, will make this real to people. Lord, that we see that, Lord, salvation is all of you. I mean, we don't hear the gospel unless you have changed the hearts of somebody so that they are compelled enough to love someone to tell them the gospel. It's all you. It's just incredible. Lord, I just ask us today, are we participating in your wonderful story? You have called us to be ambassadors. You have called us to be agents of reconciliation. If we are here today and we are believers and we know that God has caused us to be born again, Lord, are we participating? Lord, I'll just leave that for you to work on people in their heart. Nothing really I can say to change that. And Lord, if just so happens, be one here or online or Here's this message later, Lord. I I just pray that your spirit would change them so they can put their faith in you, that they can truly treasure God for, for, treasure Jesus for all that he has done for them. And in that treasuring, they will leave so much of this world behind. Lord, I pray you would help them do that. Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.